so Romans 9 uh, today is the first half of a two-parter that we're not going to finish all today. Um, Romans 9 is the first half and Romans 10 is the second half. And I have just kind of started right in by giving you the theme of what I, I would call the theme of these two parts. And it's this right here, that there is no such thing as automatic salvation based on who you are. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is by either your lineage, and I'm really talking about the Jews, and that's what Paul is, is, is speaking to here today, not because of your lineage or your heritage or your genealogies, <clears throat> and it's not based on your good works. And by good works, I mean, and Paul means, <clears throat> um, whether you follow the Mosaic laws, whether you um, act on the outside like you're a good person, um, whether you are trying to check off a list of, of do's and don'ts so that you can be saved. That's, that's the focus of Paul's message. And again, um, Romans 9 happens to be one of those top three passages um, that a lot of people use to support these ideas of predestination. I'm not going to address all of that. If you want to know more about that, you can go back to the video uh, that I made on predestination a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> But suffice to say, we are not going to take Romans 9 out of context. We are not going to ignore the rest of the Bible and just pretend uh, like the rest of the Bible doesn't happen and only Romans 9 exists. We are going to look at Romans 9 in the context of the entire Old and New Testament here. And that's what we're going to do today. So, here, <laughs> here's the questions I want you to think about as we get started today. <clears throat> First of all, does God have the right or the power to save whomever he wants? Now that might sound like a trick question to you, and you might think you know the answer to that, but I want you to think about it in an application sense. <clears throat> because a lot of people on this planet, whether you're a Christian or not, think the power for you to save yourself is in your hands. <clears throat> and this might sound like crazy until you actually think about it. It turns out it's actually true. Um, most world religions put the onus of salvation on the individual and say, it's up to you to be a, quote, good person, to do your prayers, to go to place of worship, to follow certain religious laws. And if you do all of those things, you check off all those boxes, then you will be saved. That in and of itself means that you see you as having the power to save yourself and save I'm going to put in the Judeo-Christian context of <clears throat> when you die, there is an afterlife, and you will be um, <clears throat> you will have an eternal life, and, and there will be a paradise where there is pleasure and no pain. And that's essentially what I mean by save in this context. So think about that. Does God have the right or the power to save whomever he wants? <clears throat> Second of all, Paul is anguished. I know that might surprise you, that Paul gets anguished. He's an intense fellow. But I want to know, what is his anguish in Romans 9? There's a specific you know, focus here. What is that anguish? <clears throat> Next, and this is a really, really good one. Does a promise to a group of people equate to every single person in that group is also covered by that promise? <clears throat> Think about that for a minute. <clears throat> Think about this one. Who are God's people? There is, there is actually a right answer here. <laughs> and who are not God's people? At least originally. You might see where we're going here. You're so cute how you raise your hand. You can interrupt me. You don't have to do that. Are 
questions in the context of this specific passage? They might be. That's a good question, Heather. They might be. Now see how I do this. Because what I want us to not do <clears throat> is to have tunnel vision. Okay. What, I, what I worry that people do, and it's an excellent question, and if you didn't hear it, it's, it's are these just related to Romans 9 or do they have a bigger context? The answer is, is yes, they have a bigger context. And the answer is, <clears throat> we can't just take one chapter or verse out of the Bible and ignore everything else and, and, and draw conclusions. And that's kind of the point of why we had this big predestination thing a few weeks ago. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> ah, very good. Mm -hmm. yeah. Obviously, it's there for a reason. So we don't ignore it. We also don't ignore everything else. <clears throat> Who is the stumbling stone? You may think you know that. Who is the stumbling stone? And more importantly, and this is this is this is my thing. Um, <clears throat> I think it's great when people memorize the Bible. Don't get me wrong. I think that's an excellent effort. A lot of kids do things like Bible Bowl and, and Bible Trivia, and, and they compete, and that's awesome. <clears throat> but I think the thing you're going to miss, <clears throat> if you're just focusing on memorizing biblical scripture, is the why. And, and, and I've noticed even seasoned Christians <clears throat> who will quote me passages from, from the Older New Testament, maybe to support an idea. <clears throat> when I turn around and say, yeah, but why did the author say that? Or why did God say that? It goes blank. <laughs> it goes blank. If there's one thing I could say I really want you to get out of this class, it's not that you're memorizing huge tracts of, of, of scripture. It's, I want to understand why it's saying that. So then I'll put it back on you. Why is this person the stumbling stone? <clears throat> what did that accomplish? And this is a good one. Who can enjoy the spiritual blessings of Israel? And, and as we go through all the answers to all these questions, this will probably a more, be a more apparent question why I'm asking that. Okay, <clears throat> Romans 9 is our focus today. I do want to take this piece by piece. I don't want to go over too much too quickly. So let's do 1 to 21. Rodney, would you like to do that? Yeah. Thanks. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who God is over all, blessed forever. Amen. <clears throat> but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's 
purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls. She was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What will what is molded say to his molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right to over, right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and for another for dishonorable use? Thank you, Rodney. Very good. Think about that passage. And as you're thinking about that, I want you to tell me who is Abraham? You jumped right to like level three. I love it. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Let's write Abraham. Yes. Originally a Gentile. What do I mean by originally? He was called out of the land of Ur. Mm -hmm. He was the first one called by, mm -hmm. by God mm -hmm. to go to the king. Mm -hmm. um, then he first one to accept the covenant of God. Yep. Okay, so called by God, um, uh, uh, you know, participate in a covenant with God, actually covenants with God. <coughs> what do those covenants imply? Or not imply, what did they say? <coughs> what were they? Okay, so... <coughs> No, um, yeah, um, but yes, so, so we have different covenants, so we have, circ let me write it this way then, <laughs> circumcision, what else was in there? Circumcision meant what, Heather? That he was like one of God's people. Like yes, now we've got it, now we've got it. Like it marks them as different. Yes. And, yeah, what were some of the other covenants? Yeah, he would have um, many descendants. <coughs> yep. And, and it implied a path to what? <coughs> I don't say it. It implies a path to salvation. Um, and this is the big one that Heather just said, that it suddenly marks a turning point in now your descendants, which will be many, will participate in a, in a relationship with God. <clears throat> and that, that group of people will become to be known as who? Christians. Say it again. Yes, ma'am. This is what is originally called Israelites because of uh, Jacob. 
and will later be called Jews after the, um, after the uh, exile. <clears throat> this is a group of people who are God's people. So here, you know, we're already starting to answer some of these questions here. <clears throat> Marked by dissent and, and many Jews were very, very concerned with this concept of genealogy. Um, the, the Old and New Testaments are full of genealogy for very good reason, because good Jews, Orthodox Jews, would want to trace who they were back to a, a particular individual because that kind of defined their place in the society. Um, if they were a Levite, that meant that they could help you know, support the priesthood. Uh, if they were one of the other tribes, then they would have other um, benefits. Um, it, it meant they belonged to a certain community. So it was very important they could trace their actual blood lineage um, back to Abraham. Who were Abraham's descendants? At least his immediate children and grandchildren. <clears throat> yep. So we have Isaac. Yep. And Jacob is also known as Israel. <clears throat> okay. Here is the, the big point here. <clears throat> From then on out, Israel's descendants, how many sons did he have? He has 12 sons. 9, 10, 11, 12. And, and collectively, these are known as what? <clears throat> yep, tribes of Israel. you have 12 sons that then become 12 different tribes, <coughs> essentially, um, <coughs> of Israel. <coughs> now, here is the point. Here's, here's the most important point of the whole of Romans 9. God has made a promise to Abraham, which covers a group of people, which are who? <coughs> who is the group that the promise is for? These promises. His descendants. It's a promise for the descendants of Abraham through his children and grandchildren. <clears throat> Paul makes a very specific point here that was also made in the Old Testament, which is just because I made a promise to a general group of people, <clears throat> does that mean that I have to have mercy on all of them? Think about what I'm asking here. Does it mean that I have to automatically, just because you have a bunch of children that I said would be covered by a, a, a collective promise, that I'm going to love and save every one of them? You're all shaking your heads no. Why? He, he proved that when he had to sacrifice yep. some of them mm -hmm. at, uh, on the mount uh, when uh, they were doing bad things. So he said, get rid of a couple of them and keep the good ones, I guess. Mm, okay. Let's, uh, let, me, let me just change that a little bit. <clears throat> so Abraham goes up on, I think what you're thinking of is, is this. Abraham goes up on, on top of the mountaintop. God has said, you need to sacrifice your firstborn son to prove that you love me. What does he do? Moses, sorry. Oh, okay, okay. You're thinking all the way down to the exodus. Okay, that's, that's all good. Yep, that's a good one, actually. We'll get to that. That's a good point. <clears throat> We can even start up here, and, and we'll start up here because that's the, the reference that Paul makes, but this is totally valid. Paul makes the case here that 
not everyone who was a descendant of Abraham would be saved and, and get God's favor. And who is the example here that he uses? It's Esau. God is making the point. Even though I have said, you are my chosen people, do I still have to save you all by default? No. no. Why? He can see their heart. He can see their heart. And he's God. Like he created us. He can choose who he wants to save or not yes. save. He's the creator. He created you. Why can't he love who he wants to love and hate who he wants to hate? Why does he have to be bound up? He he has what is what does Paul say here? What is the actual words? I will have what? This is verse fourteen. <clears throat> I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have and in other uh, parts he says i will i will i will i will harden the heart of of those who are reviling me and i will have mercy on those who have a good heart i mean essentially i'm summing it up there god can do whatever he wants he is not forced to do anything that's the point of romans 9 but he's, he's basing that on yeah. the actions of the individual person so it's based on your relationship with him. ah very good very good why do you say that? Well, because he just, he just read that. That if, mm-hmm. if that person doesn't accept me, then I don't accept that. Very good. Very good. That's, a, that's another excellent point, which is this is all based on the person. Now, in the end, I think what he's saying here is who and who alone has the right to save a human being? God. God alone. You're made in his image, Rodney. And if you're made in his image, that implies certain things. It implies maybe choice. It implies free will. He has maybe emotion. He can love. Or he can regret. We know that God can regret action. And if all of that is wrapped up, then why doesn't God have a right to do what he wants? And like Heather said, this is the good one. He made you. He kind of has a right to do whatever he wants with his creation. So we already know here, he says, no, I am not going to call the descendants of Esau my people. Because I wasn't happy with him. Now, barring all of the assumptions that a lot of people make about when he decided that, you can look at Esau's actions in Esau's life and, and the way that Esau acted towards God and say, yeah, his actions were not very good. I can see why God wasn't happy with him. But like Junior is saying, it's also choice-based, and we'll get into that in a minute here. Don't you think there's another yep. reason why he chose Esau not to be? Because he was from that, so that he wasn't from his wife? See, this gets at, when we don't follow God's plan, <laughs> what he wants, do we make him happy? Exactly. Very good. Okay. So, after all that being said, what else do you guys take away from this passage? What else strikes you? I remember 
It's kind of a trick question. How many vessels are made for destruction? Be careful. Nathan wants to say it. Say it again. Ooh, that's a good. That's a good. Um, <clears throat> that's a good opposing viewpoint. If you think about, this is a philosophical thing. Who was Adam made to be perfect? Was Adam made to be righteous? And what happened? Sin. And now what? It entered the world. Sin entered the world through Adam. And now what? And death. Death is a result of sin. And now who is in danger of death and destruction? Every single human being. So it's a trick question. How many vessels are made for mercy and how many are made for destruction? They're all made for destruction and they're all made for mercy. (laughs) Why would I say that in that way? Okay, so God knows and we don't. We all have choice. And if nothing else happens and there's no intervention, what is the default path for all of us? It's death. It's death. Okay. Now, I want to talk about the Exodus example because that's another excellent example. Just because God brought all of the, the Hebrews out of Egypt... Did that mean they were all destined for salvation? And we know the answer to that. As soon as Moses goes up on the mountaintop to get the the law, what happens back at base camp? Things go south real fast. (laughs) Like, real fast. Like, literally within hours, there's a golden calf for a false god that's been made, and it's been made by Aaron, uh, who just happened to you know, put some jewelry into a furnace, and out came this calf. It's this weird thing that happened. I don't know what happened. And, and, and what happens, God says, I'm going to do what? Destroy them all. I'm going to destroy them all. And then what happens? Thank you, Moses, right? (laughs) So he does. God relents. He says, okay, fine, I won't destroy them all, but you're going to go kill a few thousand of them, and you're going to make an example here. Time and again, we've seen in the Old Testament where God has said there is a group of people that through certain circumstances, descent or following of the law, circumcision and others, I will call you my people. But that doesn't mean that every individual is going to be saved or is going to be good or that I have to automatically save them. That is the basis of Romans 9. We can go home. We're done. Rodney's like, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Any, any other comments? There's a really, really interesting thing that's thrown out in verse 5 here that maybe you didn't catch at first, that <clears throat> if you're of a certain uh, alternative Christian persuasion, you might not like that statement. What is that? Like Christ 
Mm -hmm. There you go. He says it right there. That might have escaped you. Paul makes a very clear comment here. Jesus was a Jew, and he is God. Now, <clears throat> you may have alternative beliefs. You may have alternative views. You may even have alternative texts in the New Testament. There's no denying who Paul thinks that Christ is. He thinks he's God. Over who? Boom. I just love when little nuggets are in there, and we're like, ah, I didn't even see that, right? It's right there. All right. I think Oh, this is it. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. This is key, Nathan. You're absolutely right. Paul is saying it doesn't matter who your descendants are. Physically, biologically. Now he's making the leap <clears throat> to the spiritual. And this will start to make more sense what this last question is meaning here now. And this is key for all of us who probably are not Jews, we would call ourselves what? We're Gentiles. Yes, Christians. <clears throat> but we're Gentiles. We are not, I mean, most of us probably cannot trace our descent through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is why Paul is making this case here. It's really important because remember, there was kind of two different kinds of people in the Roman church. There were Jews and there was everyone else. Paul is making the case here that your salvation, your spiritual mercy that you're getting from God is not just based on your lineage and who you were descended from. It also is based on what? A promise to who? Say it again. Abraham. To Abraham. <clears throat> maybe, maybe we should go on and read this and it'll be more clear here because it's not just the Jews that this promise is for now. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and read on so that we can, we can cover that. Let's read 22. Let's just read to the end, which is 33. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not only the Jews only, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people I will call my people, and her who is not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the numbers of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They've stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Excellent. Who, according to Paul, are vessels of wrath? 
Let me start with the other one. Who, according to Paul, are vessels of mercy? That's now. So I'm going to say, <coughs> who believe in Jesus? Who were the original vessels of mercy? So that would be who? The Jews. The Jews. This is really key. Who originally were vessels of wrath? That's right. That's exactly right. <clears throat> Who are vessels of wrath now? You're both right. <laughs> Think about it in contrast with this statement. Yeah. Those who reject Jesus. Paul is making a very clear claim here. And if you were a first century Jew, you would get it. You would get it 100%. I go up to an Orthodox Jew. Who are the people who are vessels of mercy? 100 people out of 100 would say the Jews. Because why? We're either descendants of Abraham or we follow the law, which included circumcision, the Mosaic food laws, etc. <clears throat> And, and who were vessels of wrath? hundred people out of a hundred Jews would have said, Gentiles. That's why we don't associate with them. That's why we don't eat with them. That's why we, uh, you know, uh, you know don't, don't conduct certain business with some of them. That's why we don't bow down to their gods. Uh, it's pretty clear. <clears throat> but Paul is making the comment here that things have changed. Things have changed. What has changed? stumbling stone has been laid and who did that stumbling stone catch the Jews yes the Jews and 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 more broadly and yes the number one answer is Jew it's like right it's like family feud ding 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 that's the number one answer right it's Jews that caught them first <clears throat> but it also catches others who what yeah those who reject Jesus Yep. 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 So there's a class of people. The question is, what about people who are not descendants of Abraham? There's there's a group of people that you would call proselytes, and these are people who there's a whole range of of um, of action here. It starts with people who generally believe that Yahweh was Jehovah God, God of the universe, and there was no other God. <clears throat> They may not be descendants of Abraham, but they believed that. But they may not become circumcised if they're males. Or they may not completely participate in all the food laws or all the Mosaic laws. Now remember, the Mosaic laws are more than the Ten Commandments. There's <clears throat> many. You have to do all kinds of things of how you conduct business, how you conduct your worship, <clears throat> um, and so on and so forth. So there's, there's groups of people that are from one end to the other who kind of generally believed in Yahweh, Jehovah God, but didn't subscribe to all of the, the necessary tenets, all the way to people that, yes, were not descendants of Abraham or couldn't prove it, 
But they did everything else. They became circumcised if they were males. They followed all of the Jewish laws. In those cases, those people were considered Jews. So that's why this is two pieces here. <clears throat> Your salvation is not based on just being a Jew, which includes either son of Abraham or following the Mosaic law. Remember, you're going to have to remember that <clears throat> throughout history, the Jews intermingled with either people, um, uh, neighbors, neighboring uh, peoples, pagan peoples who they intermarried with or who they converted. <clears throat> and then after the exile, things got really dicey uh, because the Jews were carted off to uh, to Babylon and then to Persia. Uh, they lived there too. <clears throat> and, and you have this mix. And then a lot of people can't say they necessarily came from Abraham, but they're all following the Mosaic law. So it's a good question. So then those that, for example, the Pharisees, who mm -hmm. you might think of as the ones who, <clears throat> excuse me, um, they're like they look down on other Jews who mm -hmm. didn't follow the law. Those were normally the ones who they were son, they were descendants, they were sons of Abraham, but they weren't following the law. But they were still classified as Jews because of their descent. I would say that that if you didn't on the outside look like you're following the law, you would be you would be um, kicked out of the kicked out of the group. This is the number one, I would say in order, this is the most important. Um, let me say it, oh, I'm sorry, I said it the wrong way. I would say this is the most important because this can make you a Jew if you did not uh, descend from Abraham. Um, this is, I would say, a second most important. You could be a son of Abraham just like Esau and not attain kind of the, the covenant salvation that they were looking for. So it's a great question. But what is the great answer to all of this? What if God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of wrath? Who, were the, who was he being patient with? Gentiles. Us, yes. He was patient for a long time with us and put up with a lot. He put up with a lot from the Jews, of course, too. Still, does. bless your heart. It's true. But even in Hosea, and I think this is the important part too, this is not all news. This is not all like new information for the Jewish people. Um, and this is a good point for the Pharisees. The Pharisees would accept the, um, not just the law, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. They would have accepted the major and minor prophets as well. So they absolutely would be familiar with this phrase, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. Who is that? That's us. Hundreds of years before Paul wrote this, it was clear God was sending a message to the Jewish people. You're not always going to be my vessels of mercy. There's going to be a change. And you will become my people. Now this is where this gets at. Who are God's people? That was originally the Jews. We answered that. Who are not? It was originally the Gentiles, but now it's been replaced with a completely different concept. We talked about this last week, the, the spiritual answer 
when you become a believer in Christ, God does something with you. It's like when you don't have a biological child, but you take them into your home and you raise them as your own. We call that what? Adoption. Adoption. Who did God adopt? Thank you, God. (laughs) Thank you for adopting me. I was not one of your chosen people, but he adopted me as a Gentile. And with adoption comes the expectation of what? Salvation. Here we go. What else does it imply? Inheritance. Inheritance. Yep. Love it. When you graft in something, this is a plant question, so Heather's going to love this. In order to graft something in, what do you have to do to the plant first? You have to cut it. You can't graft something in on a plant stem unless you cut it first. You can either cut the whole you know, root stock off and graft it to a, to a stem, or you can cut a branch, and sometimes they do this kind of thing when they make like the four-in-one peach tree or whatever. Um, the grafting in, it implies something got cut out, and who gets cut out here? You guys could teach this class. I'm going to have a guest teaching Sunday. Watch out, Nathan. You guys, tag team. I'm just saying. When you graft in a plant stock or stem or something like that, what happens to that? That plant grows as one plant. For all intents and purposes, it's one plant. It's one organism. You've merged it in. There is no difference now between that which was grafted in and that was there originally. So who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham? Anyone who accepts Jesus as their Savior. Anyone. Let's read that passage. Is that is that Isaiah ten? No. Let's read Isaiah ten. Isaiah ten twenty seven to no wait I'm sorry twenty two to twenty three. Yeah ten twenty two to twenty three. Who wants to read that? Excellent. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Your people will be like the sand by the sea, Israel. Only a remnant will return. Destruction has been decreed, overwhelming and righteous. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, will carry out the destruction decreed upon the whole land. Excellent. Let's read, and we did the Hosea. That was, let me see here. Hosea 1.10 is in there. Good. Both of the Hoseas are in there. It's funny to me that the Pharisees struggled so much because, Mm -hmm. like, literally all of these prophets, you know, going into the exile, during the exile, they're all like, hey, Mm -hmm. it's not just about being a Jew Mm -hmm. anymore. And, you know, he tells them at some point, um, I forget where, he tells them at some point, you know, settle into the land where you're at and marry the 
Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore that you're completely separate because it's not about mm-hmm. your descendants and it's not about following all the laws. Like yeah. He's trying to prepare them for Jesus coming. You are absolutely 100% right on that. And I'm going to I'm going to ask this this broad question. <clears throat> At some level, human nature takes over. <laughs> this kind of thing. You have to remember that for the Pharisees and especially the Sadducees, they have now been through, I don't know, let's count it, over 2,000 years of this constant battle with their neighbors who were not Jews. And at this point in history, the first century, <clears throat> what is Judea like? Who knows what Judea was like, especially the area around uh, Jerusalem in the first century AD? Yes. Tell me what the conditions were like. If I were to transport myself to Judea, first century, what would I encounter there? List it off. I would say you'd have all kinds of people. You'd have Romans, you'd have, you know, yep. um, maybe Greeks, Gentiles, yep. you know, Jews, all intermixed. It is not like in the time of David. Or even Solomon, maybe is a better way to say it. There are so many different kinds of people in Jerusalem and Judea at this point. And, and actually the Jews while probably the majority, wouldn't feel like the majority. What other conditions were going on in Judea in the first century? It is super poor. It is one of the poorest places on earth. And poor implies what? Well, all kinds of things happen when there's a population of just poor people. Say it. Crime is out of control. What else? Famine, people are not eating. People are starving to death. What else? What do people tend to do when they see society degenerating around them? What do they try and do? What, that's it. They, separate, they want to separate themselves and they want to interlock with their brothers and sisters and say, we're, we're going to stick together no matter what happens and we're not going to change, right? We want to change all of this. So it's easy for us to look 2,000 years ago with, with 2020 vision and say, why did the Jews do this when they knew full well what the Old Testament was telling them? And I'm just saying we have to be a little bit compassionate with them to say, the same thing is happening today, folks. There are remnants, elements of people in every country around the world. It's not just the United States, and I'm not gonna get political here, but when things start to change and people who are different than you start to flood in, and they have different beliefs, and they have different values, and they have different religions, and a lot of them are poor, the very first thing that a lot of people do is they, they get militant about it, right? They, it's human nature. Say, I'm not going to mingle with them. I, am not, I don't want to have anything to do with them. We need to, you know, <clears throat> we need to keep ourselves separate from them. Even in the absence of, of, of reason. <laughs> Right? Even in the absence of reason. This is exactly what is happening in Judea in the first century. So now we look back and we go, you guys are so dumb, but you can see them saying we wanted to hold on to what we had. And remember, the glory days of Israel were a thousand years in the past at this point. You know, the days of Solomon's temple gleaming, right? Now, Herod has rebuilt that temple, but it's, for all intents and purposes, it's a Roman, it is a Roman structure at this point. That yes, the temple is for the Jews in the middle, but there's, there is the courtyard of the Gentiles and there's a lot of people who are not like Jews meandering about 
the temple grounds. So it's really easy for us to say, why were they so dumb? But yes, how do we apply this to our lives today? I'll say it, not to change it, but maybe not automatically exclude. <clears throat> maybe at first blush. <clears throat> Brother, this will be the only time I ever write this word on this board, so. Excellent. What else? I sure hope not, sweetheart. <laughs> I sure hope not. What else? What, how else can we apply this? Because this is all very interesting, right? Oh, thank you, Brian, for telling me all this. But what? But now what? it. Share the good news. That's right. Yes. Um, and so understand that, like, our way of gathering together and singing anthems yeah. in a dark room mm -hmm. and yelling them at a group of people on stage <laughs> is not the only way of doing church. Right. And so understand not letting those traditions stand mm -hmm. in the way that we can't achieve by work. Ah. Avoid tradition without examination, because I'm not going to just necessarily reject tradition on its own, and I know you're, that's not what you're saying, um, but examine why you're doing it, but also don't let it stand in the way. I love that. Great. Thank you all. Great conversation. See you next week.